All right. And then, okay, so we'll do the drinking and then we'll toast to Jade Carey. Deal. I toast to Jade Carey every day. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Gold in the Olympics. This is the ace episode of the Belligerent Beeves podcast, a.k.a. the Babes, a.k.a. the podcast that's about to interview an Oregon State legend. Uh, still not revealing that yet, but also uh, you probably already know because his name is definitely in the title of the episode. But <laughs> still, I'm a big fan of pageantry and fanfare for its own sake, just like Michael Scott of The Office. This is the belligerent beast podcast my name is terry horstman i am joined as i always am by my dear dear friends jp bertram and benny Weehage. and jp you already let slip the delicious libation that you are enjoying tonight and we just need to talk about it so there it is listeners you can't see it's a beautiful pint glass it is very you know dark brown it looks like a campfire uh jp what kind of beer are you enjoying tonight so i'm changing course all those triple as you always do imperial ipas i'm staying home but this time it is a imperial stout from great notion called the marshmallow peanut brother and it is ooey gooey marshmallow ooey goodness plus peanut butter you had great notion last week that's hardly changing course well, I'm, I'm not having an IPA for probably yeah. the first time since we started this podcast. Great Notion is becoming your Ninkasi. I'm just, I'm just saying that. I know it's eight <laughs> feet from where you live, so Ben doesn't have that excuse. <laughs> but, no, but Great Notion is so much better. Dude, yes. don't talk shit yeah. about a potential sponsor, even though I know they've been sitting on their hands. Uh, a potential you know. sponsor was a potential sponsor a month ago. Yeah, they lost like episode it. one. Yeah, right. Now we're already sending out some feelers to block 15. It's over. It's over. Right. <laughs> you took too long, Nintasi. <laughs> All right. Well, um, what, what what type of rating will this get from you on uh, Untapped? Jason? Oh, I kind of forgot what I gave it. Oh, I gave it a 4.3. Is that good for you? It's like high and good. Not okay. great. Right. Not like knock my socks off. Not like blueberry muffin. <laughs> is the blueberry muffin one even that good? Did it, did it yes. Really? Okay. The blue, it's so good. Yeah. Nice. Uh, what's the highest rating you've ever given a beer on Untapped, JP? Ooh, it actually was a dark beer. It was a Mexican hot chocolate stout, and Ooh. it was like spicy and rich, chocolatey. It was amazing. Was it from Great Notion? No, it wasn't. It was not from Great Notion. But I, that's my that's my highest rating. I think it's like a four point seven five. I've never given a five. Yeah, Perfect. it's a modern times actually. Monsters Park aged in bourbon barrels, Mexican hot shot. Excellent. So go check Ooh, that out, yum. listeners. Benny, I have not seen you sip anything yet. I hope that you remembered that this is the same segment we start with every week. It is also a beer pot. It, this is a pot. We have like 17 different subjects now. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's okay to get a little sidetracked, but you do have, you have a nice little bottle in front of you. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah. Um, I did not switch it up like JP did. I, I feel like I go back to the same beers over and over and over again. You did not go back to Ninkazi. No, no. Oh, oh no, okay. no. They could have been sponsors, but they was playing. Um, I like you, Ninkasi. <laughs> <laughs> I went back to the Black Butte Porter, uh, no! which is delicious. 
and this nutritious. is definitely you forgot we were recording tonight and you and had to get something out of your favorite fridge. beer it's my mom's <laughs> favorite beer it is really good though shout out to terry we age and, and her favorite beer and um, joe we age for uh listening to our podcast for the yeah first time papa we age. yeah your son totally knows when your birthday is yeah. he super knows it he just didn't say it exactly yeah it was a terrible <laughs> first podcast for him to listen to um so i have to redeem myself and i have to say my dad also went to oregon state he got me into oregon state sports uh, at a very early age so he we, we went down to games when they were in the midst of their 28 straight seasons of losing records so he is uh, the testament to why I have tough skin right now because I started cheering for the beefs at the worst possible time. So it's only downhill from here. So on behalf of Joe, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Hitch. Dad. For <laughs> you're welcome for, again. for raising your son right. <laughs> he he apologizes for forgetting your age. <laughs> sincerely. And sincerely. 60 plus. 60 60 plus, plus. um also uh, there is 60 i joey hage uh who now makes his home in iowa just south of where i am located there's a really good uh craft beer scene in the state of iowa uh you know you might not think of that if you haven't been there you might not think of anything if you haven't been to iowa but shout out to the iowa craft beer scene i've uh, been down there a couple of times and uh have been very very impressed each time so shout out yeah. to joey hage shout out to terry we hage her favorite beer the black butte porter that's uh came to your rescue tonight benny i i know for a fact you forgot and that just happened to be in your fridge but it, it was, works it's got some stain power it's got stain it power. works yeah. It does. It was between this and Kowichi. Our actual sponsor? <laughs> Our actual. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> awesome. Hopefully right. they're not listening to this. Well, um, I, <laughs> I am drinking um, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Broken Bat Brewing Company, uh, which is my Aunt Terry's Aunt Terry Perry, who is a real person who I'm supposedly not named after, but love you, Aunt Terry. Her nephew on the other side as a brewery called Broken Bat Brewing in Milwaukee. Love Milwaukee. Congrats on the NBA championship. Congrats to the Bucks. Shout out Giannis. And all of the beers are baseball themed. So this one is called Laser Show. It's a tribute to Dustin Pedroia. I don't really have any feelings of, towards Dustin Pedroia, and I don't care for the Boston Red Sox. It is a milkshake IPA, though, with blood orange, tangerine, and vanilla. And while we all have our beers in front of us, we have to give a big Olympic-sized gold-plated cheers to Oregon State gymnast Jade fucking Carey for taking yes. the gold in Tokyo in the women's floor gymnastics final. Cheers to you, Jade. Cheers, Jade. you guys. Cheers. Chop them. I mean, there's been a lot to be excited about in this Olympics from an Oregon State perspective, from an American perspective, from just a spectator's perspective, this is fucking awesome. So props to you, Jade, and the three of us don't know what we're talking about when it comes to gymnastics, but I, and I didn't see the floor routine that she brought out live, but I did watch it, you know, after I woke up the other day and like, it was fantastic. She oh my rocked God. it to see Simone Biles on the side, like to like going crazy for like the whole thing was just so cool. Whether she's coming to Oregon state or not, that was just an awesome, awesome moment for a young athlete. Just how effortlessly she could jump 
and be Dude. like upside down, spinning and twirling in multiple successions, and then land <laughs> like she just took a step off a curb. Blew my mind. <laughs> like, like, absolutely blew my mind. Maybe you are a gymnastics elite mind, JP, because that was, the step off a curb thing is some of the best description I've I've heard of a <laughs> to make like how like how easy they make it look. But yeah, wow, that it, she was legitimately so incredible. Yeah, yeah. Did we already Agreed. nominate her it, for the Hall of Fame? We haven't. We we're going. We're obviously this is she where this conversation is going. Yeah, Jade, you're in it. Um, you know, I the to get into the belligerent beefs Hall of Fame is very difficult, and I, I know a gold medal is is fun, and you know, a, a crowning achievement in gymnastics. But the real achievement here is being inducted into the belligerent beefs Hall of Fame. <laughs> so Jade, she you, should you, come you, on the pod. Jade, Jade should come on the pod. I think that's... She liked one of know, our tweets. We should get her on. Yeah, she did. All it takes. Jade yeah. liked a tweet. So did Ninkasi, and Ninkasi mm. shut the fuck up real quick. But I have more faith in Jade Carey than I do in Ninkasi Brewing Company or any business based in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, having Jade on the pod would be a dream, but yes, Jade Carey, uh, you join many, many other Oregon State legends in the sacred halls of the belligerent Beeves Hall of Fame. Congratulations to you. Yes. Can't wait to see what uh, your your future and career holds. And uh, it's going to be so fun watching uh, watching her compete for, for Oregon State uh, on the mat and, you know, at nationals in the Pac-12. And, you know, great moment if, for if, Oregon State gym, Gymnastics uh, in Tokyo. If, if she's, um, which I'm sure she is, looking at, at going to Paris in 2024, that whole preparation period is going to be done in Corvallis or at least she'll be at Oregon state while that happens. So that, that would be really cool. Yeah. So if you're in Oregon, get your ass out to Gil Coliseum and watch a legend in person. Exactly. I was going to say she's whatever happens from this point forward. Jade Carey is an absolute legend. Yeah. She didn't, well, you have a gold, she didn't yeah. even need to medal. She's a legend. No, she didn't need to medal, but she but she'd already done like on she short note on short notice. Yeah. She gold medaled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. I'm going to do yeah. this. Yeah. The only thing I wish that they would have done is instead of play the U S national anthem, play the Oregon state fight song as she was on the podium. That would have been amazing. Or Corvallis nights too. Belligerent Beefs intro. (laughs) Just the the full episode seven of the Belligerent Beefs podcast. (laughs) That's right. Um, Well, speaking of legends, we need to talk to about another person who needs to be inducted into the Belligerent Beefs Hall of Fame scat. It is legendary, longtime Oregon State play-by-play announcer Mike Parker, whose birthday is today. Uh, This episode is not coming out on Mike's birthday. We are recording this on the night of Tuesday, August 3rd. But happy birthday. The The best broadcaster of all time in collegiate sports. Please, please keep calling Oregon State games forever. Happy birthday, Mike. Cheers to you. Belligerent Beeves. Hall of Fame. Happy birthday. Hall of Fame. He's a legend. Yeah. He he keeps he keeps the same demeanor no matter if the team's 0 and 10 or 10 and 0. Like it it is uh he is excited about Beaver football and and whatever other sports he's covering, no matter what. Right. Yep. Now, y'all, it's the main event for tonight's podcast. It is the first guest in the history of the Belligerent Peace podcast. We're not counting the takeover episodes. Sorry, Steph. Sorry, Kelsey. Sorry, Annie. The first real guest in the history of the Belligerent Peace podcast. And we are starting, we are starting, gentlemen, with the all-time leading scorer in the history of Oregon State football. Why are we starting this big? Because shooters shoot, Benny, and kickers kick. 
And for the next hour or so, we're going to be kicking it. See what I did there? With nice. the one and only number 13 in your programs, number one in your hearts. And as I just said, number one on the Oregon State football scoring charts, Mr. Alexis motherfucking Cerna. Let's hey, get to it. Alexis Cerna in the house, Beaver fam. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. Awesome. Um, well, we're going to dive right into it. Um, we have a, a bunch of questions for you. And uh, I think what we want to start with and what a lot of our listeners, I think, will be curious to know is what exactly is Oregon State's beyond football program and uh, what is your role uh, as the program's director? Yeah. So uh, the best way to put it is we're all going to go play in the NFL for 10 plus years. Um, but <laughs> that tends to right. not be the case. Um, we had that dream too, the three of us, but it, it ended a lot shorter. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it's really that, uh, that, that thought process. A lot of times we go into that. Um, and you know, some of us, we pursue, like I was fortunate enough. I played two and a half seasons, even after Oregon state, uh, played up in the Canadian football league. Um, but then you like, when it ends, it's like, okay, what, what happens next? Uh, and so really it's just making sure that we take care of our athletes no matter where they're at. We want to make sure that they're always going to have that resource. They're always going to have a place to call home to help them get that first job. I think it's important for us to help them make their first 40, 45, 50, whatever that is that entry level role and just having conversations with them about resumes, interview process. Um, we also do financial literacy. We did kind of all encompassing. We do a lot of different things of life skills, uh, really just trying to prepare them. Those things that probably all four of us have experienced, you go off and you make mistakes and you're like, man, I wish somebody would have told me this when I was younger. Um, and that that's really what it is, is that I made a lot of mistakes along the way and I want to make sure that they don't make those same mistakes. That's awesome. Yeah, <clears throat> that's awesome. So how did you uh, find yourself working in this role, you know, in the time between uh, your playing days, um, ending at Oregon State and then eventually ending in the CFL? Uh, what do you think sort of led from where you were then to where you are now as the director of the program? Yeah, so in uh, 2012, the position originally started. Um, and so I went in and I talked with one of our senior associate athletic directors about the role then and what it was. And and I was like, man, that's the coolest position ever. I wasn't in the place to take a role like that. I hadn't even started my career. Um, and then I ended up landing with Sherman Williams. Um, but I always thought that that was a neat program. And I always kept in contact with our, with Oregon state after I got hired on with, the with Sherman Williams, I was actually trying to hire a couple of my teammates, uh, Daryl Catchings ended up working there. Joe Hallahoney got him hired on, uh, Dorian Smith got a job offer, but he decided to stick around at Oregon state. Uh, but I found myself passionate about that. Just trying to help some of my teammates. I, I, you know, honestly, uh, to be honest, was like, okay, when I, my first week there, actually, I'll tell you a story with that is that uh, first week at Sherman Williams, I was sitting there in this computer, sitting in front of the computer doing modules. And I'm like, man, what did I just, what did my life come to? I'm a division one athlete selling paint. <laughs> and the, uh, the, the training store manager, assistant store manager came in and he actually played a division one football. Um, and he came in, he'd been with the company for like 25 years. And he goes, I know what you're thinking. Division one athlete, what are you doing selling paint? I didn't say that out loud, but I was like, okay, I'm listening. Like what and, and he was like, you know what? It, it's a great company. You're going to make some good money. He's like, you're not going to be embarrassed uh, about saying that you work at Sherman Williams if you're at a dinner party. And it was exactly true. That was probably the best thing that I'd heard. But I also realized because of my football mindset and kind of a little bit of an ego that we have, it's like, okay, we're these great athletes or whatnot. Um, you never look at these small companies that you can go off and make some good money and do a, and have a great living. And so 
understanding that I was like, okay, I got to help my teammates get in with Sherwin Williams uh, whenever I can, knowing that they can go off and make some good money. Uh, and so that's kind of how my passion started. I just kept coming back and recruiting for Sherwin Williams, um, staying connected with the university. So uh, when Jonathan Smith's staff came on, it was just timing was right. Um, I had actually just moved to North Albany. My wife's a teacher at Crescent Valley. Um, so I was working up in Salem. So we split the difference of the drive and, and then the position opened up and I was like, you know what? I, I love Sherwin Williams, but I knew that there was only one role that I was leaving uh, for Sherwin Williams. And it was this director of beyond football. This was my dream job. And so being able to apply and then ultimately get it, it, it was definitely a, a dream come true for me. That's awesome. That's really cool. So this, this is obviously a, a, a huge passion of yours. Would you be able to share with us some of the more notable success stories that you've had in the role? Yeah. So one of the things that we, we've been pretty excited about, I've been excited about is that we have a 93% placement rate. And what we look at placement, wow. that's guys going to the NFL or working full-time jobs or going on pursuing the masters if they need to get some, some secondary education for their careers. Um, but just really wanting to make sure that they get placed I think our averaging starting salary is about 52,000 for the players right now. Um, and so it's been fun just kind of coming in and building a network and then also just tapping into uh, our, our Beaver alum network as well, like former football players. So like one of the most recent stories was uh, David Morris safety just finished up this year. Uh, he, he was like, you know what, like not pursuing football anymore. Like I, I'm not going to take my COVID year. Like what, like I want to start. And so we started talking and he ended up wanting to enter into management and he was actually, so he's from Sherwood, Oregon, but he was like, I want to move to Vegas. Um, my family's planning to, my parents are planning to retire there. That's where I want to go. And so I'm like, okay. Um, and it just so happened that one of my teammates, Joe, uh, Joe Rudolph, who's actually in Phoenix right now, but he actually started off with Target in their uh, management program in, in Vegas. So I, it was just a simple text. Hey, Joe, like, can you help me out? He's like, yeah, send me the resume. Got him in front of the right people. And he ended up landing the job there as an executive team leader with, uh, with Target. But that, that's really what, what it was. It's, those are some of those success stories that there's a lot of them. Um, like I can look at the numbers. And I think there's about 40 guys total. So there about, there's about 35 of them. They're all working and there. Some of them don't get me wrong. Some of those guys, some of the guys are pretty sharp and they help get, they get their own jobs. Um, <laughs> I might help them with resumes, but they're, they're some of them are uh, pretty much go-getters and they go and do it. Like Jalen Bush is an example. He's a civil engineer. So the Sumner Houston from a few years ago, another civil engineer, some of those guys are kind of already tasked and have an idea, but there are some that, that need those connections. Networking. It's a, it's something that you learn. Um, and these they don't know they don't know how to network they don't really understand that and so i kind of teach them and guide them along the way and get them in front of employers we i feel strongly about our student athletes they i know probably about 90 percent of the chance that if i put a student athlete in a, in a company that they're going to be a great employee just because of those four or five years of time management you know they're going to practice workouts in the morning class in the afternoon and they have to do their homework. And then they also have their social life. So they're managing their time really well. They're hardworking, coachable, adaptable, handle adversity, all these great things that employers want. Um, but they don't realize that because they're like, all I've done my whole life is play sports. And so it's just me exp uh, explaining that to them that companies are dying to hire people like you. And so they, they get really excited about it. And then having those conversations too and letting them know, like I, I had a lot of fun working and I've, I've made a lot of good friends along that way. It's a, it's a little scary walking away from football 
but just me reassuring them that you're going to be all right. And so they, they definitely enjoy it. No, but Alexis, you're right. Like so much of that, of those skill sets are transferable to the working world. So it's really cool. Like I've been following since you got this role and I've been following every time that like you've shared out like, Hey, I, this person just got this job. Congratulations. Um, I found it like super neat that this role even exists because I had no idea that even any programs were doing this. Um, are they doing this? Like to your knowledge, like, is this, is this like a benefit of going to OSU? Is this a program that you're spearheading to help student athletes find jobs after school or like how progressive are we in this space? Um, I've thought we work with a couple of partners. One of the things that we have is like a, um, is an athlete network, give athlete network, but there's different things, but I've, I've talked with people and they say that, well, what I do is a little unique. And part of that has to do is because of my experience of going into sales. Um, so when you're, when you're called, if you were, I'm actually a history degree major. If you would have told me at 23, coming out of college, you're going to end up in sales. I'm like, no way. Like there's no way I'm going to end up selling anything. And that's exactly what ended up happening. Uh, and I actually hated sales for like the first six months, but I got into a groove of it and like really, really enjoyed that. Um, and part of that is this understanding that sales is an opportunity, um, for a lot of these student athletes. It fits a lot of our athletes, uh, personality, and so because of that, I, there's a lot of opportunity in sales. I've been able to make some connections, but I do think it's unique uh, to Oregon State that I actually follow all of our athletes. I, it, it's not really a cyclical thing. I didn't want it to be like, okay, seniors go. Okay, if you're not like prepared, your resources that you had all four years, you didn't take advantage of it all. Too bad. Good luck. I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted to change that. And make sure to follow him. Like, perfect example is like Sean Wilson. He was from our, um, I think it's last year, 2018 or 19, 2019. But he just reached out to me recently. He's actually from my area in Inland Empire uh, in Southern California. And he's like, I want to move to Nashville. And so it's like, okay. So made some connections and he actually got a, a job recently with Colonial Life. Um, but it's, it's making sure that I'm there for them, no matter where they are in the process and understanding that I even pursued football for a period of time. Like I played and I understand that. And I think that's the unique thing for it as well. Um, the other unique thing I think is that I'm, I'm a beaver alone. I'm not going anywhere. This isn't a, a stepping stone role for me. I'm not trying to go on and be an athletic director somewhere else or take a, another role. Um, this is what I absolutely love. This is my passion. I'm not going to go anywhere. They're going to have to drag me out kicking and screaming out of that building if <laughs> anything ever happens. But th this is, it's really important to me because I want to make sure that our guys are successful. They can be successful. And it's just a matter of putting them in the right in that right position. So I, I do think it's a little bit unique to uh, Oregon State, and I think it is a benefit. That's super cool. And not to like drift too far, but uh, aspirations for Oregon State athletic director in the future is that what I heard? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I learned pretty early Watch on, there, like Sherwin Williams, that I was like they wanted me. Actually, I was part of a, a program at Sherwin Williams called Emerging Talent, so they wanted me to keep moving up and. I was like, I really don't want to do that. And they're like, yeah, I think you'd be good. I'm like, all right. They sent me to Cleveland for training. I'm like, okay, cool. It was a good learning experience. It was probably one of the better trainings that I had. And I appreciate it. But I realized that I didn't want to manage adults. Uh, if you don't know what to do by now, like, I, I don't know how I can help. You. So that, that was one thing I didn't really, I know I don't want to do. Damn it. I was just about to ask if you could get me a job in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> you have connections, just let me know. All right. <laughs> So, so moving a little bit more over to the football side, 
Uh, Jonathan Smith is, has obviously received a, a ton of praise, uh, certainly from this podcast, but um, I, I think you see it, uh, you know, state and, and region wide, if, if not nationwide. Um, with you working as close as you do to him, what are some things that should have Beaver Nation really excited right now? You know, I, I think people really have to believe what he says when he says that, like, we've, we've won in the past and we can do it again. Uh, and that, that's a unique thing, I think, that he has going on and why he's, we've been able to turn it around is because he's, he's been on great, successful teams and coached even, like, some great teams. Being up in Washington under Peterson, uh, who's a great, great coach. And so he's learned a lot through that and being able to be under Dennis Erickson and coach Riley, like he's had some amazing coaches that, that are mentors to him. And, uh, and so just, but just that belief that we can do it in Corvallis. Like I, I remember when I was playing in here, it was, we were always the underdog. That was just the thing. And we won a lot of games we weren't supposed to, um, but it, that that's just who we are and that's who our identity is. And we, we all believe that we can play it with anybody across the nation that when I was playing here and it's getting back to that, where these, these players are starting to realize, Oh, we're, we're good. Like, Oh, okay. If we, we trust the process, we put our time um, and, and we, we work hard, we can win some games and they're starting to see it. They're starting to see that success. And I, I think that's really one thing that for Beaver nation to be excited about is that, he was there at that pinnacle of Oregon state and, and he does believe, and I do believe that he can get us back there again. I believe too. I'll just add that in there for the listeners. <laughs> if, if our I listeners haven't do. figured out all three of us are uh, pretty <laughs> yeah. staunch beaver believers. Um, yes. Well, something that both uh, you, Alexis and coach Smith have in common, um, either you didn't uh, play at the same time, but you both won a lot of games uh, for Oregon state. And I think, you know, many, you know, like the national college football media probably would uh, describe them the same way as winning games. You weren't supposed to win. Uh, you also were both walk-ons uh, at Oregon state. And just to ask you a little bit more about your own career as a Beaver football player, like what is it like to walk on at a major college football program? And at what point did you realize <clears throat> that you were having a career that wasn't typical of uh, your average walk-on? Yeah. Um... It's like having the best way to explain it is it, it, there's a chip on your shoulder um, because it, you you do believe that you can play at that level um, and that you do and you obviously you're getting passed by a lot of universities. I'm from Southern California, so you know I I'm only an hour away from UCLA and USC uh, and just knowing that like okay I can play at those schools and then Oregon State gave me that opportunity, so you kind of have a passion drive for the university. It's like you know what they gave me my shot but I still have a lot to approve. Like I, I, I improve. Like, so it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta be able to go out there and earn this scholarship. Um, so that, that's, I think that's the unique and fun thing though. But I look, when I look back at it being 18 years old and coming out and not having a scholarship, like I, I couldn't just be like, oh, okay, like I'm going to red shirt. It was like, I got to put my time and work. And it taught me a lot of things. It, it, it instilled a lot of great habits of uh, hard work and just, um, being able to believe in myself and all these great things. Uh, but going on to when did I realize that my career was a little bit different? Uh, I actually never noticed it until I was, it was probably like five or six years after I got done with Oregon State, um, watching college football and just seeing, um, I'm, I'm a believer, I'm a very positive and optimist person. So I believe that anybody can do anything. As long as you put your mind, you put your time and effort, that that's the way I believe. And so when I looked at what I did, I was like, you know what, I'm just doing my job. Like that's all it was. It wasn't anything uh, 
extraordinary. Um, but then as I started watching college football and you see a lot of missed kicks and I was like, Oh, like that's, that's not like normal within the college athletics. And so it, it was probably like five, six years after I got done and just kind of watching it and, and realizing that like it, it is a unique, it is an elite class of kickers that are doing really well in college. And it's, it's not all of them. And so that was one that I realized, okay, I, I, I had a little bit of different career than, than most. So would you say there's such a thing as Oregon State walk-on magic? <laughs> when thinking about your own career and also Jonathan Smith's career? You know, I, I think it, it there is a little bit to that because you come in as an underdog and then you're with an underdog team. Um, and so it, it's that, uh, it, it gives you that little extra fire and drive. And I, I think a lot of guys, they... They, they just want to be great. And then it's like you, your team around you, the, my, I remember our team, it was just, we all kind of had a chip on our shoulder. Even after I got put on scholarship, it was just like a lot of us came from Southern California or other areas. And we're like, man, we got overlooked. Like you got the, the Rogers brothers. I played with James and coming out of Texas and, you know, you know, you can play with these elite schools, but they just overlooked you. So it's like, you know what, we're, we're going to punish you for it. Let's not forget also another uh, walk on that made some magic with Mike Hass, who has been talked about on this podcast as well. So I think there is some magic there. Yeah. And that was, that was a unique and fun experience. Uh, Cause in 2005, both of us got the award. Uh, and I just remember uh, going up on stage, getting the award. And it's just like, Oh my gosh, a lot of emotions. And you get like ushered around and I sit back down and the very next award is a blend cough award. And, uh, watching Mike go up on stage and win that and having coach Riley sit with us in those, in that aisle, it was just like, it, it, it was a, a very awesome moment, but yeah, that there is something to, to the, <laughs> what beers do you guys have? Oh man, we just did the intro thing beforehand. Uh, we're kind of <laughs> all over uh, the board, Ben, uh, do you want to, do you want to start since? Yeah. Uh, I've, I, JP, I think has a Northwest one too. Uh, Black Butte Porter by Deschutes, okay. which is what my, my second or third week in a row doing that. So it's uh, it's one of my faves for sure. For sure. And I, I'm drinking from a uh, local, or not local, but a craft, brewing, craft beer in from Milwaukee that uh, where my cousins live, and they're still celebrating the Bucks championship in full tilt. <laughs> it's called Broken Bat Brewing, and all of the uh, beers are baseball-themed. So oh, this one is called Laser Show, and it's got, you know, like the can's got some origin black on it. So, you know, I thought it was uh, appropriate <laughs> That's awesome. for, for tonight. I'm drinking a uh, a marshmallow peanut brother. It's like an imperial stout from Great Notion. Okay. If you're familiar with up here in Portland, I it's heard, like they're, I that one. Yeah, they're, they're like you know the trendy spot up here. I live a few blocks away in northeast Portland, so <laughs> I'd like to venture down there get a the couple to goes. And it is like the hipster <laughs> spot for sure. But uh, they make some they make some awesome beers, and yeah, this one's pretty good as well. So oh, wait, Alexis, do you have anything you're drinking on? <laughs> <laughs> I had a little bit of fun yesterday, so today I was struggling a little bit. So I was like, "Oh man!" <laughs> uh, I was like, "Should I go get a beer?" I'm like, "No, I think I'm gonna take it easy." <laughs> Thankfully, we record nice, in the evening nice. for, for that. It's not like, "Hey, we record at 6 a.m. <laughs> yeah. on Tuesday morning." <laughs> <laughs> we would still be on episode one for sure. Yeah, we would not make that. Alexis, you mentioned chip on your shoulder, right? Like. You've talked about your LSU game a lot, and I, I, I watched one of your podcasts um, recently talking, you know, really eloquently about that as well, and um, talking about that entire experience, not just like how does that happen that you hit the post twice, right? Like, then you have this whole thing afterwards where traveling back to Eugene, you get delayed, or you actually get rerouted to Portland, you're waiting for the buses. I mean, talk about like you just want to go to bed, right? And But yet this whole thing just gets dragged on and on and on. Um, 
but to go from that point to like one of the greatest like kicking careers in, in all of college sports ever is like super super insane and like remarkable but what was like that next week like for you i mean maybe even broader like what was that next year like and honestly did did that make the chip even bigger for the rest of, of your career like did that ever go away or is that even post football is that kind of stuck with you as you know driven like who who you are as like a, a person and who you aspire to be yeah so um leading into that that following week after that that was that was tough but i think what i'd realized uh, leading up to that lsu game um just because i was in a competition with john daly for the, the starting position uh, I, a lot of it, what I was doing was kicking to not miss. Um, and, and it's unique. It's like, okay, kicking to not miss and then kicking to make, it's like, well, it's the same thing, but it's like the mentality is a little bit different. Uh, but I realized that after that game, it actually flipped the switch because now I had like nothing to lose. So I was like, you know what? Like, mm. I'm just going to go out there and just kick the ball. Like I'm just trying to make every single kick. And I started making a lot of kicks. Um, I know I made it really hard on them to to put John Daly in for the Boise State game. I don't think I missed a kick that week in practice. Like I, it was just on fire. But like Coach Reed told me, he's like, you know what? Like you're, you're kicking really well, but like you, you have to understand we have to play him. I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Like I I, I understand that. Like I had a bad game, um, but <laughs> but it was just I I, <laughs> I kept that like that fire going, and then that led into the New Mexico game, and and then when like in just that opportunity to get that kick in that New Mexico game. I think the, what I realized is that because of the confidence that I was instilling in both coach Reed and coach Riley in practice, cause I just kept making kicks and not missing after that, that they were comfortable with throwing me in there for that 35 yarder against New Mexico. Um, and so, and I remember very vividly walking out on that field. That's one of those kicks that I, I'll, I'll never forget, but I walked out there and I hear fans booing. Like there's obviously fans cheering and there's fans booing. And I was pissed. Like, I'm not like no sugarcoating. I was pissed. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to drill this kick. F you. I'm good enough. Like, I don't really care. Oh, <laughs> uh, but uh, the neat thing about it though, was that after I made that kick, that stadium, this Weezer stadium erupted, it went absolutely nuts. Um, <laughs> and so it was like, okay, but like, if you, if you're able to watch that kick after you can kind of tell, like, I'm kind of walking with a little bit of anger after that kick, but it was just kind of like, see, I could do it. Uh, but I kept that, that fire and just kept running with it. Um, knowing that like, I, I needed to do this, like, and really that season, like I did like leading up to the Washington game, there was still a chance that I wasn't going to get a scholarship. And even though I had been starting for a few games, I didn't get a lot of attempts. And so I was like, Oh man, like, is it, is this going to happen? Um, and then I remember one of the coaches during the, the pregame, he came up to me. He's like, Hey, get ready. We're going to kick a lot of field goals. I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> but it's raining, windy, and it comes down sideways. But I ended up, it hit, that was a game where I hit five field goals and I got the 55 yarder. Mm. Um, and after that game, it was the first time that I realized that I was going to be the kicker for Oregon State moving on forward. Um, I just knew that they wouldn't be able to find anybody doing what I was doing. So I was, I was excited about that and just, just kind of continuing that, that momentum all the way through. Um, and just a lot of it was just a belief in myself. And uh, to be honest, like I I've been through situations in my life and I'll tell you my red shirt year when I was, wasn't playing uh, when I got homesick, that was probably worse feeling than actually the LSU feeling. Um, and I, I, I remember my dad telling me when I was homesick, I was hoping my dad would be like, I'll just come back home. Um, but he did not <laughs> but he told me, he said, you know what, if you, if, if you can get through this, you can get through anything in life. 
And that always stuck with me. And so even when that LSU game came up, it was like, I, I can get through this. Like it, it, everything will be fine. And, and it was, and it was true. I stayed true to that and just kept grinding. But that, that sophomore year coming into it for the Lou Groza, um, I was talking about the Groza on the practice field. That was just kind of a thing that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Like I, that was my goal of mine was to win that award. Um, and I remember telling Colt Charles, we'd be warming up. I'm like, all right, if I make this kick, I win the Groza. And just kind of putting that little bit of a pressure on yourself. And you kind of have to envision those things. I realize now it's like, that's part of the reason why I was able to win that award was because of that belief and that vision. And um, just really learned a lot of, a a lot of those things along the way. Um, Some things that I was doing right that I didn't even realize were the right thing to do. I was only 20 at the time. Um, And so (laughs) I was young, I was really young. Um, And so it it, it was, I I look back at it and I was very fortunate that I had the right mindset going into it. Yeah. That's awesome perspective. Uh, Yeah. I I feel like that is so transferable to just life in general of, of kicking to make it as opposed to kicking, not to miss, you know, that's, that's a really good way of looking at it. Um, But do you have a t-shirt of that? (laughs) Right. Yeah, should get that copywritten. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll put it in the belligerent beeves merch store. <laughs> there you yeah, go. that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that that's a great segue into into our next question, which is, uh, and I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, but how did it feel to win the Lou Groza? Oh man. Um, sorry, get a little bit emotional even just thinking about that. But it, it was it was such a unique experience going out there. I was actually out there for a week. Um, the fun thing was it was that it was actually finals week. I uh, had to hit up all my professors and saying, I'm not here this week. I'm gone. Like I need to take all my finals. So I took all my finals. So it was kind of a nice relaxing week being out there in uh, West Palm Beach and they wine and dine you. They pick you up in a limo and they're taking all these restaurants and I'm like, oh my gosh. And um but just that opportunity like that was a goal of mine I actually my sophomore year goal was actually just to be a finalist and I wanted to win it by my junior year um and just talking with my mentor and kicking coach a lot about that um Hugo Casianos and um being able to be a finalist like and and kind of with one with the best stats I was like oh man like there's a possibility that I might win it this year uh that experience was also a trip because I'm out there only as a sophomore uh and I'm there with like Reggie Bush Matt Leinar Vince Young um, all these guys that are all going to be drafted in the first round. And here I was going to be going back to college. Uh, heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a few, so, a few it, decent names from college football of that era. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you know, I, I got to meet, uh, Ray guy and Tony Dorsett. Like, Oh, nice. Yeah. It was, it was Damn. such an unreal experience. Um, but I, I remember just sitting there and I, I built a good relationship with, with Judd Groza, uh, Lou Groza's son, who was actually announcing the award. Um, and so right before he actually popped out of the, the um, to talk and tell the story about his dad going to war and then coming back playing for the Cleveland Browns and how he was kicking on the beaches, uh, getting pre- uh, prepped for the season, even though he's in the middle of the war. Um, wow. And he kind of peeped his head around the corner and he, we made eye contact. He gave me a little nod. And I'm like, that's weird. Um, but I'm not even sure if he, I'm pretty sure he knew who won at that moment. I was like, okay, that, that's interesting. Uh, but we did, um, but he goes through it. And I remember when they announced my name, uh, the first thing I did was like close my eyes because I just wanted to just start bawling at that moment. I was like, I, I couldn't believe that this just happened. And then going up on stage, talking with Chris Fowler, um, it, it was, it, it's just an unreal experience. And 
actually my first experience with the Lou Groza award was NCAA football. Uh, I kicked a lot of field goals mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and I ended up, uh, I ended up winning the Lou Groza award. I'm like, Oh, is this a real thing? And doing research, I'm like, Oh, this is an actual thing. Um, but it was, it was kind of, it, it, it's just an unreal moment that it, it's something that I'll never forget. And I, I remember like, that time comes around in December and I started thinking about it and getting that feeling still to this day. Like I think about that uh, just in December, just, just knowing that that time was coming around and gosh, I think we're coming up on 16 years. So uh, it, it's been, it, it's an amazing experience that I, I hope that another Oregon state kicker will be able to be one day. Very cool. That's so cool. That's awesome. That is so cool. Yeah. Wow. And speaking of NCAA football, that's got to come back, right? Which one? It has to come back. I mean, just make a new one. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They've announced it. Oh yeah. 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 Supposedly. Yeah. Hopefully with like all name image likeness, I think they're not going to do, well, I I got paid for that. That was, that was pretty cool. But uh, honestly, the the (laughs) bigger thing for me was I I was in a video game. I didn't have to create myself. I thought that was the biggest thing. Right, right, right. They didn't have to pay me for that. I was like, man, this is the coolest thing in the world. I'm on a video game. I actually bought all the video games um, just recently. During the pandemic, there's a lot of not not a lot to do. So uh, I actually got my son seven. He was seven at the time. He's eight now, but uh, started letting him play video games. Wife wasn't too happy about that. Um, uh-uh. <laughs> I felt like it's a rite of passage for, for male boy to play like, as his dad, though. That's a once in a lifetime experience. <laughs> he doesn't play with me, though. He ends up making his own uh-huh. teams and he gets all into it. But, uh, but it was, it's cool to be able to say that that's me and show him, um, and know that I didn't actually create that person. It, it's a, it's a pretty cool feeling. Wow. It's like, so Alexis, I'm a NorCal kid. I watched the LSU game as I was applying to OSU. Right. So I've been like following along the whole time with your entire career through OSU. You're a SoCal kid. Um, but I have to know what's better making kicks to beat USC or making kicks to beat the ducks. That's not even a question. <laughs> <laughs> we all know what that answer is. It, it, we all know the answer. <laughs> we just wanted to hear you say it, Alexis. Yeah. 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 Any day, all day, every day, making kicks to beat the ducks. Yes. Right. There you go. Nice. Yes. Right. And you were three and Love one it. against the ducks. Is having a winning record against the ducks better than winning the Lou Groza award? Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> I definitely, <laughs> I, I hold a lot of pride in that. Um, and you know, fans really can't say too much. They come up and they, if they start chipping, I'm like, man, I, I, we, I was three and one against you guys. Like, I don't, I don't want to hear right. anything. And so, um, but yeah, it, it's that being able to beat the ducks um, and, you know, being like, being a very integral part in some of the wins too it was it's a dream come true like it's unreal like you you can only hope that you hit game winners against your rivals and to be able to actually do it it was it was a lot of fun um and those teams were really fun to play with those Oregon State teams so being able to beat them and um like Dorian Smith one of my teammates he was a Juco transfer so he he has a little bit more bragging rights he's 2-0 so, oh, so he's, never lost, he's never lost to the Ducks. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my freshman year was, you know, 2006. And uh, I actually had some high school friends of mine from Minneapolis who ended up going to University of Oregon. So we, if it didn't take me long to, to hate the Ducks because we were, you know, chipping at each other from, <clears throat> from the jump. But I, I remember being like thinking I got it. 
and then being at that uh, 06 game uh, right after yeah. Thanksgiving at Reeser in the rain when you hit the field goal and then we we blocked Matt Evenson's field goal and got to rush the field again be like oh I I get it now <laughs> and that was when it, it had gone I think like 15 years or so like every other the, alternating always yeah. one and so my sophomore year in 2007 we won again and I was like oh it's probably <laughs> me like I'm two and zero and I think that hubris might have uh, put us into the the you know the tail <laughs> that way, Terry. After that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. I appreciate the hubris coming after 07, though. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So that 07 season, while we're on it, was um, also a, a great season. You know, it was a. Uh, um, another great season for you, Alexis. And it was, you know, you mentioned James Rogers earlier, his freshman year, and he, he sort of electrified uh, uh, the fan base um, in a way that probably not many people saw coming at the beginning of the year. Uh, but I think sort of a forgotten storyline from that year was, you know, Kyle Loomis's departure from the program right before the season started. And you offer, I, from what my understanding of it is you volunteered yourself to be the punter. Cause the team was in a bind. The punter left. There is no one there uh, to punt. What was that experience like? And like how, like, I think most like probably like average college football fans probably don't see much of a difference between kicking and punting, but it is a totally different, you know, function. Uh, what was that like? And uh, how did you, you know, handle that and how much practice did it take? Yeah. So I hadn't punt since my senior year in high school um because you you really do get focused on like one position whether it's kicking or punting um and so uh i kind we kind of had an inkling that something was up with kyle um leading into the summer uh and and so i actually started punting a little bit in my my senior year in the summer it's like okay i think i can do this get the hang of it just in case like but even still i was still always the backup even on road games so it's like if the punter went down i was going to come in and punt punter uh ends up like uh if i go down the punter was coming in to kick like so we were each other's backup it didn't practice at a ton um but actually didn't find out the first day of camp kyle just came in and was like nope not doing it like and then it was like we come to the team meeting and like special teams coach was like coach Unger was like hey like kyle quit like you're the punter i'm like yeah that's that's fine like i figured that i was gonna have to punt and i was totally fine with it is i'm one of those people that like they would have told me to long snap over long snap like whatever it is like to help the team i'm gonna help out i don't know if i actually helped the team it was i was bad um but, <laughs> but it, it's complete. your words not ours we were gonna say like, <laughs> I, was, I was very very bad punter um and you know honestly i do not have the size for a punter that's the other thing is that punters tend to be a little bit taller um, they're using the leverage a little bit different um I, I i got to use my speed a lot more i just didn't have that momentum up and come up and through uh, which you tend to get with a little bit more guys are uh taller like sam Pelescu was my punter for, for two years he played in the league for a couple of years bouncing around and uh, and even him, he was six foot and he was still considered like a short punter. So now here I am at five, seven, um, having to put every single little ounce of muscle into this punt. Uh, but it was, it was definitely a learning experience. And but for me, I'm a confident and driven person and being bad at something is not like what I was okay with. So I was putting a lot of, uh, work in and during practice every week, trying to get it. 
Um, I think the turning point for me was the UCLA game. Uh, I kind of had a, a bad game in that UCLA game. Didn't hit some good, very good punts. Actually kind of turned it around towards the end of the game, and I had a great punt. Uh, <laughs> it was like a 47-yarder out of bounds, but then uh, G-Law, he ended up Gerard Lawson hitting the guy when he was out of bounds. 15-yard mm -hmm. penalty. That game was a disaster. Oh, but 15-yard penalty, yeah. the very next play, they run it up the gut for like 50 or 60 yards, and then we kick off, we fumble, they recover, score a touchdown, kick off, fumble again, they get it. And it was, it just turned that game just got out of our hands a little bit. Um, but they started talking about, we brought in a freshman punter and they started talking about putting uh, Kyle in there for, it was another Kyle, um, putting him into the punt. And that kind of lit a fire under me. I was like, no, like I'm, I'm the best punter on this team right now. I'm going to be the guy. And then I, it kind of started getting, I started clicking a little bit and starting to get into a groove of it. Um, and absolutely my favorite game punting was against Deshaun Jackson, uh, in Cal. I was going to, I have it written down, ask about Deshaun Jackson. So I'm so happy. <laughs> and so I had a great game punting against him, uh, but leading into it, coach did like coach Unger and like, he is absolutely freaking out. Cause obviously like it's Deshaun Jackson, like the guy's a stud. Um, he's returning kicks against NFL guys like later on. But like being the confident and instilling even in my punt team, like during practice, they're like, you got to punt it out of bounds. I was kind of being a little bit bad about it and hitting on the right down the hash on purpose, uh, but <laughs> not putting it out of bounds <laughs> or on the numbers uh, because I was getting a little bit frustrated because I was like, you know, you're going to tell me that this one man is going to beat my 10 teammates. I'm like, there's no way I have a belief in my 10 teammates that they're going to go down and cover. And I remember telling them that I told them, I said, I believe in you guys. I think you guys are the best cover team in the nation. I don't care who's out there returning. We're going to stop them. And so, and that kind of helped instill that just being that leader on that team to tell that to them. And that's what we believed in. Obviously I was going to direction once we got into the game. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I think I hit one boy. It was uh, one, one punt got away from me where he ended up uh, returning that one about 10 yards. I kind of drove it a little bit more than I would have liked. Um, but then he, uh, but we, we stopped them. We only got about 10 yards, not too big of a deal. Um, but my, my favorite punt, it was my second to last punt and it was later in the second half. And, and so I, I kind of set up the direction, which way I was going to go. And so I ended up setting up going uh, to the right. And so I see him actually move over to the right. And I'm like, oh, he's following me now. He, he's kind of picked up on what I'm doing. So I was like, all right, I'm punting it to the left now. So I turned over and I got ready to set like to, to punt to the left. And then he runs across the field and goes to the left. And I'm like, so I'm like, all right. Um, <laughs> this is where my, my, the shortness of me kind of plays in an advantage. So I actually punted better off to the right. And so if I could line up straight, I could punt it pretty well to the right. So I kind of like started scooting a little bit, but then as the play got a little bit closer, I kind of squatted down behind the line a little bit. So he couldn't see me. Um, and so I got really low and then kind of straightened up and, but I was straight. So I hit this ball perfectly to the right. And I just see him beelining across the field, just running as fast as he can, trying to get to the putt. The other returner gets it. And like we we stop him and he's just like bouncing around. He's mad <laughs> because he I punted away from him. Um, and then my last punt actually it was a terrible punt that ended up turning good. I ended up rolling it down there and it rolled all the way down to like the five yard line. And then they had to like come ninety five yards to try to win the game. 
tie the game or win the game. But yeah, I, and he was mad about that one too. But it was that was pretty cool to be able to say I punted against him and, and had a great game. That's one of my favorite Beaver football games ever. And I feel like because it was sandwiched in between those two great upsets of USC that happened, you know, in Corvallis, people forget about how stacked that Cal team was that yeah. year. I know it was after the Marshawn Lynch year, but you know, Justin Forsett still played in the NFL for years. There was that incredible goal line stand. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, who uh, was obviously incredible, but I feel like Oregon state, like uh, from a special team standpoint and a defensive standpoint, always sort of played him. Well, people forget how good of a college wide receiver Lavelle Hawkins was playing on the opposite side of Deshaun Jackson. And I'm happy you brought this up. Uh, on your own, I can, I can, I can still feel the swagger dripping off of you, you know, 14 <laughs> years later, uh, but like when that sort of, you know, like cat and mouse thing is happening, I know you already like the huddles happen where you tell your teammates, like you're the best cover team in the country and everything. But when you're, the ball is about to be snapped and you're punting to arguably the best punt returner this game has ever seen, like what's going through your mind. So for any specialist position, you really do have to clear your mind and really focus on what you have to do with the job. Um, because anytime you allow other outside thoughts to kind of creep in, that's when you start getting into trouble. Um, and then you can kind of go down a bad path of like, oh, now you're overthinking things and really just trying to stay in rhythm. It's not, it's not much different than shooting like a, a free throw in the, uh, and basketball. It's like you get a routine and that's really what it was is that, I had a set routine. Once I was set, I knew what I was going to do uh, to go out there and punt. Right. Well, you were pretty close. The The one return he had was for 12 yards. Um, I'm looking at the, the box <laughs> <for> right now. <laughs> <laughs> to, to shout out some of your teammates, he had four catches in that game, but only for five yards. So uh, shout out to Brandon Hughes, Keenan Lewis, uh, Tim Clark, and the rest of the secondary. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. That 2007 game against number two ranked California in the Bay Area. Uh, and they were in line for one after if they would have won. That, yeah, because right. I, I remember the like yeah. Ohio State or somebody lost. L LSU, um, yeah. LSU yeah. lost. We actually knew that at halftime yeah. that LSU had lost. And so we knew that we were basically playing the number one team in the nation at that moment. Wow. Um, and so then that, there was awesome. a lot of weird moments that happened in that game. Like one of them was the uh, right before half where they kind of tried to squib the ball and then Isaiah um Isaiah Cook actually ended up just catching the ball and just falling down on it pretty early and so it was like we had good field position and then Sean Canfield ran across the line of scrimmage like 10 yards and then threw the ball and it was like they didn't call the penalty on that one and then that actually ended up hitting a 52 yarder right after that um but if they would have called that penalty we would have been out of field goal range but ended up hitting that 52 yard right before half. And there was just a lot of momentum and, uh, but yeah. And then you get the, the Riley, he was driving down. And one thing he shouldn't have done was run the ball and he ended up running the ball. And then I remember Jeff Tedford throwing down his like sheet, his like little sheet, you know, the call sheet. And it was like kind of floating down because it's paper, but he threw it down all mad and it didn't go very fast. So that was kind of funny, but, uh, <laughs> but just, hey. Yeah, yeah. For, former Oregon coordinator <laughs> fucking up again right there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but yeah, and it was. But I remember the my, one of my favorite parts of that game was actually going over to that corner where all of our family and friends and Beaver Nations over there in that corner and just celebrating with them. That was with all of our teammates. That was such a, a, a cool, like, cool experience. And then obviously, Coach Riley in the locker room, one of his famous saying, "We never lose in Strawberry Canyon." And, 
Right. <laughs> or we never lose that cow. He always said something right. like it was like it was funny because we never really did. Like I remember uh my red shirt year, Steven Jackson ran all over them out there and then we had a great game. My sophomore year, like Evans is like first year playing, like starting running back and uh, I had a great season against them in our, that game too. And then like we come into my senior year, we just always seem to turn it on against them at their own. Right. I love that. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but it is a legendary Oregon state uh, play-by-play announcer, Mike Parker's birthday today. So happy birthday, oh, Mike. Happy and birthday. one of my favorite uh, just parts of that is, you know, when Ra- Kevin Riley, uh, Portland guy, I believe, quarterback quarterbacking Cal gets yeah. sacked with no timeouts left and the clock ticking. I think it was, it was a uh, Joey LaRock and Derek Doggett, I think who combined on the sack. Um, and I, Derek Doggett was one of my favorite thieves <laughs> ever. And just cause I loved how hard he celebrated. And you know, that's just, you know, that that's, that's what this podcast <laughs> values. Um, but that then uh, like, you can hear it in Mike's call, like in any like sort of Oregon state hype video highlight, like that play will get shown along with Mike's call. And you can hear like him counting down the seconds and also realizing mid call that Cal's not going to get into the playoff. <laughs> so he's going ballistic, but still like somehow manages to keep speaking English <laughs> while still calling and celebrating and then declaring that the Beavers have defeated number two, California. Like it's just a masterclass in how you call like a once in a career, holy shit moment. So happy birthday, Mike. And thank you. For yeah. Happy birthday, Mike. On happy that birthday, glorious Mike. day in 2007. Um, so that wraps up uh, the the question, the big questions we wrote out. Um, but we do have a, a handful of quick hitters that we would love to get through that are just uh, a bit of fun. Um, so I'll I'll start with the first one, and I think you guys are looking at the same doc, so we can just sort of alternate uh, who asks. But Alexis, who was your funniest teammate that you had at Oregon State? Oh, um, you know this one's this one's kind of tough because he did pass away recently. But Ruben Jackson was one of our uh, um, one of my funniest teammates that that I had. Um, he he was just always doing just silly things in the locker room, uh, and and he just had this infectious smile to it. He he could just light up a room. Uh, but he was he was a funny funny man. <laughs> Right. <laughs> we we talked about Rubes on a, a previous podcast. Yeah. We talked about our favorite Oregon State wide receivers. And I said, is it on the field or off the field? Because off the field, Ruben Jackson was one of the coolest dudes I think I've ever met. And uh he just was always fun and yeah, and hilarious too. So <laughs> good good choice. Good choice. Uh what about the the best dresser? Oh, I'm gonna I, you know, we weren't a ton into fashion back in that day, but um I wore basketball shorts to class every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I'm gonna go with uh, Joey LaRock with being an innovator and starting okay. to rock the UGG boots before. Uh, really, uh, Joey LaRock? Yeah. Uh, before Tom Brady, TB12 was rocking UGG. Yes. Yeah. I, well, probably shouldn't say this one, but you guys can put this on there. But this is actually kind of funny. So uh, Joey was kind of crazy crazy guy too i i, I love the joey I actually room with him for a period of time but uh we actually lived across the before we were actually living together in a house we lived in an apartment across from each other and we always had our doors unlocked and we just kind of walked in between each, um joey larock uh shane morales and jason vanderbeer and uh one of the times joey comes in and he has these tidy whities but they're red and just ugg boots on and he comes and sits down well he didn't realize that my mom was in town and so Joey's sitting there with with his stuff on and I'm like oh Joey and you could tell he was like 
when he realized my mom was in the room. And then eventually he kind of got up and like exited. But it's just, it was just a it was a pretty funny moment. I mean, he he was just hilarious too. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so was there a worst dresser? Oh, you know the funny thing is that I uh, I don't know if there wasn't a worst dresser. I probably me, but um, but the, <laughs> thinking about like just the styles back then, like back when I was playing, it was like who can get the biggest white T-shirt. That was like the thing, and it was like <laughs> JC won t-shirt. that game. Yeah, yeah I was, had those. <laughs> it was a glorious time, youngsters. Well, the, the funny thing that you say, JP, was that actually, like for us, it was Jeremy Perry. I don't know where he got this one shirt from. Oh yeah, but one day, one time they were out at practice, and I put his shirt on, and this thing was like a muumuu on me. This thing was massive. But it was like, it was the funniest thing. So, but I, it, it was always interesting thinking about styles back in the day. But I'd probably say I was probably the worst dresser. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. 2005, 2006 was, was a hell of a time. <laughs> uh, switching gears from like clothing to music, who was the best pre or post game DJ? Or like who controlled it the most, I guess. They don't have to be the best. To, to put it in, uh, to put it in context for the Gen Zers, who was the best on the iPod? Now, the iPod, <laughs> it was different from the iPhone. It was a machine that had music on it that you could hook up <laughs> to the speakers that would play music. So the, the funny thing was, uh, I, I think the thing I always remembered about music was that there was this, like, whose who's music is better? Is Southern music better? Um, is LA rap better? Is the Bay Area better? So that was kind of a thing. So there was, I it's kind of hard to say like, oh, who who is the number one? But I always remember the first time that I heard the Laffy Taffy song. Uh, Evanson <laughs> Bernard put it on, and like yes. Ed's just doing this little dance. And I always remember that like if one song that I remember like getting played in the locker room was Laffy Taffy and watching that dance. <laughs> Nice. Terry, you should say, JP, play five seconds of Laffy Taffy. JP, yeah, JP, play five <laughs> seconds of Laffy Taffy by G4L. <laughs> <laughs> Laffy Taffy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> Who would be the best wedding guest? Best wedding guest. Matt Moore would be up there. Joey LaRock. Okay. There you go. Um, yeah, those guys, those guys were a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was friends with Matt during school and I actually reached out to him to see if he'd actually do this podcast. And he told me he respectfully declines. He's enjoying his dad life. So I don't know about his wedding guest skills these days, but uh, I remember during school. Yes, he and afterwards, he would definitely be quite fun. He would probably turn it on for a wedding. Maybe now that we've had Alexis on an episode, he might reconsider. But yeah, Matt, Matt was a, Matt's a good dude. What was your favorite memory as a student away from football? Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to go a little soft on this one, but meeting my wife uh, at ben, Finley Hall. So uh, nice. she's been my life partner uh, coming up on Halloween. Uh, we actually started dating on Halloween. So we've been together for 17 years this Halloween. Uh, so nice. all right. Wow. Congratulations. Definitely a great moment as a, as a student because don't hopefully the student athletes don't listen to this. I wasn't much of a student. So, um, but <laughs> just I, the director of the beyond football program. But yeah, no, it was, it was definitely, I'd have to go with uh, me to my wife. What year was that? How old were you? I was 19 at the time. Yeah. So we're, awesome. we're coming up almost of like, I've been with her like half my life. So. <laughs> nice. That's so great. You guys. Yeah. 
Finley was the, that was the dorm I stayed in for like my start orientation weekend, but I don't know that yeah. I went in Finley again after that. Yeah. I don't think anybody wanted to stay in Finley. We call it yeah. the Finley project. I, right. Well, they didn't like a, were a lot well, of athletes in Finley because of, yeah. like, it was close to the facilities. Yeah. 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 Now they have like these new, like I, they, they all stay in ILLC now. Uh, they were staying in Tebow for a while, like these brand new ones. Like, like my, like Finley, I, I had a hole in my carpet, like right behind my computer desk. So when I slide <laughs> out, right. I almost fall backwards. It was, uh, it was a great experience to, to say the least, but it was, uh, I, I had good memories of Finley, but it was not. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I know freshmen these days are so bougie. They're yeah. coddling kids yeah. today. Sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, the, Alexis, this is the last quick hitter that that we wrote or that I wrote down, and it's literally what I'm most interested in. And I want to know if the, if we have to take this off the record, we can take it off the record. <laughs> Did Mike Riley ever use profanity at the team while cameras weren't rolling? I know he never did while cameras were rolling or when he was ever being recorded, but when the lights were off and it was just him and the team and it was just you guys, did he ever swear at or to y'all? He is true. Like does not cuss. Like I think the worst word I've ever heard him say is crap. (laughs) That's what I was expecting, but not what I wanted to hear. I'll give you you a funny story. Um, So we were actually, I'll give you two. Um, So we were playing, uh, I'll do the UCLA one first. Uh, We were playing UCLA and down there, and both times when we played down there, we played bad. We should have beat those. Um, that was just the reality of it. And Riley never really got mad after losses, but those two games he got mad because I, I think he realized that we should win these games and we did. Uh, but I remember he was mad and he slaps the the water cooler and it falls over and it's water coolers just leaking all over in this bag and they're just like sitting there just like oh man and he's like we gotta get our game together and blah blah and, and i'm just watching this water cooler just drip all over my bag with all my clothes in it and i'm just like my clothes are gonna be soaked i'm not gonna move right now when he's in this middle of the thing i actually don't even remember what he said because i was just sitting there looking at this bag just getting drenched <laughs> and well, actually when i put on my clothes luckily it was la and it's kind of warm but it was, they were all wet right. i was like oh man but um, the second story was we were playing against Washington State, and it was my senior year, and I was punting, and it was cold that game, and it was raining, and you can't even hear anything, or you can hear everything, and it's like because there's no fans, we were just blowing them out, and uh, snapper uh, he snaps it back, Joel throws it back, and it kind of skips back, and I kind of stop it, um, and I kind of catch it, make sure it doesn't get by me, and I hit a bad punt, and and I <laughs> I just hear right when I hit it, I just hear Jiminy Christmas Alexis. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and so I'm like laughing already, like coming off the sideline and I'm smiling and he was like, what was that? And I was like, coach, come on. I'm back there playing shortstop. Like just trying not to let the ball get by me. And he's just like, oh, well, good job then. And so it was, it was pretty funny. Like, he, was like, he can flip the switch like that. I can't do that. If I get mad, I'm like, oh, okay. Like you're not at fault, but I still held that. But he was just like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And he stopped me off the button, sent me on my way. So like, he, he was an awesome coach. But yeah, it, it does, he was true to that. It was like fun to be watching games where you'd like see him yelling on the sidelines, but obviously like there's no audio of the sidelines, at least, of course not then. And then you would just sort of go into your like, really nice but mad riley voice trying to mimic what he's saying (laughs) Uh, and alexis i started writing for the uh daily barometer in 2008 so i got to interview him a 
a handful of times and that dude like would hug me <laughs> during during like i'd show up he'd be like hey terry good to see you and i'm like why do you know who i am this doesn't make sense um, i'm just hung over and like making beer money and like trying to write stuff about football um so yeah, I will, I will always love him for that. But I was like, I, I want to hear, you know, like, like I, there's always something like behind the scenes of people who are just this nice, but everything I've ever heard is like, no, he just is that nice. Yeah. And was he a checks football out. coach too. He, yeah. He's genuinely just that nice. Like, I wish I could tell you like, Oh no, he's not, but no, he's like <laughs> right. Ned, Ned Flanders from Simpsons. Like just it's a stupid, nice, sexy Flanders, perfect. you know? <laughs> I think it was after your time, um, but I think it was probably during the 2012 season um, when the team was uh, undefeated and got up to like number seven in the country or something. And ESPN did like a legitimate like uh, game day segment on Riley and the Beavs, whatever. And like, and like they spent like four of the seven minutes just like with B-roll of him like biking to <laughs> yes. from his house. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> He's just like an every man's every man. He bikes to practice, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that season was a cool season because that was the, the the in and out year. Um, where like yes, every game, like because they would buy us in and out after a meal after, like, hey, if you guys win, we'll buy you in and out. And it seemed like every game for like the first six, seven games, there was an in and out in like nearby. And I remember the last one was like Utah State. And uh, I, I think we were underdogs in that one, but like I remember ESPN was talking about it. They actually flew in and out onto the game day set, and they were talking about that. But then one of them was like, "They're like they actually went through the predictions, and they are a couple of guys were picking. Like, I'm pretty sure it's Utah State, but uh, uh, they're picking them. And then one of the guys was like, "You know what? There's a there's an in and out that's not too far from there. I'm going to go with like Oregon State." And the other uh, other heads were like, "Wait, there's an in and out near and by? Like nobody told us this? Like we're flipping? Like we're picking Oregon State?" <laughs> <laughs> I never heard that story. That's awesome. Well, now you can get in and out pretty much at every every road game. You can get them at home games almost. Just roll up to Salem and you can get one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just went back home and like my family was like, "You need to get in and out." I'm like, "We we have it in Oregon now." Like I don't. So that was my first thought every time I get home was in and out. But I I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, the Washington schools might be the only ones where you can't. Maybe Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when we form this super team conference with the big 12 and we ha- play 38 games a year in the Midwest, you know, <laughs> right. I don't right. know if in and out will make it all the way here. They should though. I am officially, I'm officially standing for the first Minneapolis in and out. I would love that. <laughs> Actually, we should ask you, are you going to be traveling to the Purdue game? Do you travel with the team at all? So I was before the pandemic. Um, now I just all don't right. know. <laughs> Right. Well, two thirds of this podcast is planning to be there. Obviously, everything is, uh, you know, uh, with, uh, you know, grain of salt <laughs> in these unprecedented times. But we're planning to be in West Lafayette, uh, hoping to see a big beaver win. And then also that this is just a, a great year for the program. Alexis, um, I'll be at Idaho. I'll see you then. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the can't miss game of the non-con schedule. JP is making yeah. it down. I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah. So uh, another cool story with Idaho is like my my best friend actually kicked at Idaho, um, and so it was actually oh, nice. we played against them in 07. So that was actually a cool mm-hmm. pain to be able to play against it. But I remember leading up to it, I was like, dude, our defense is really good. Like I, I'm like I know like we're, we're supposed. To I'm talk worried crap. about them. I was like. What? <laughs> 
I, I actually don't think you guys might score on like you guys might not score on us. I'm gonna just throw that out there. We ended up beating them 38-0 and he had one kick, he had one kickoff in the game. So <laughs> okay. so he got on the field. Yeah. That, I think that was uh the game, the first game I made it to uh after the school year started my freshman year. I think that was the first game I ever attended as a student. So, yeah, it was so, nice. So, yeah, anyways, and Erickson was the coach. Erickson's return. Yeah. 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 Every, that's right. Everything comes full circle. Yeah. I remember my best <laughs> friend telling me too, they're like, oh yeah, Erickson's gonna stay here forever. I'm like, Arizona State's open. He's gonna go there. <laughs> <laughs> Erickson never stayed anywhere past like three years. Like yeah. right. that was never a thing with Erickson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god. Alexis, this was so fun. So yeah. Thank you again, and yeah. just best of luck with everything uh, this year. And we'll, we will for sure be uh, sliding into your DMs again to get you on a future episode of uh, Belligerent Beefs. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. You guys have a good night. That guy was so fucking cool. Dude, he's, uh, that, he's so fucking cool. I love that shit. That was uh, like how he went into so many great stories and, and some that we can't share with you listeners. We're sorry about that. Uh, but are just between the four of us now, the fact that he remembered <laughs> JP, you were at a party as a freshman at Oregon State. And 16 years later, Alexis Cerno not only remembered it, but discussed it with you on a podcast. <laughs> How do you feel about yourself in this moment? I feel like I underestimated who I was as a freshman. If like people were talking about me in not a, a terrible way. Yeah, like clearly I should have taken more advantage of that. But, uh, you know, whatever, water under the bridge. That was, it's a, it's a fun memory that I always had that I thought was kind of disgusting and hilarious at the same time. But it's really hilarious that that was also a memory that he has carried with him since college. So. When he dropped, I heard that story. We all just stopped. Like, yeah. if, you, if, if, you, if you rewatch like the, the video recording of this, we're all like kind of smiling and nodding along and clearly like engaged. The second he said, I heard that story, we like our eyes got big and we all like took like two paces back from the computer like this <laughs> it was so shocking <laughs> alexis <laughs> yeah he, he was such a great guest to have that was really right. fun well i mean you can tell like he had to get interviewed about shit immediately after that lsu game when he was what 19 years old so you can tell he's the type of guy who's been done so many interviews and just knows how to how to rock an interview. Um, yeah. What's coming up next week? Next next week, we're transitioning from a uh, last couple of very football-heavy episodes to an almost entirely basketball episode. Uh, men's basketball, we are joined by Sam Whiteley, the host of the Peyton Years podcast, the only podcast in existence entirely dedicated to Oregon State men's basketball. They launched in November of last year at the very beginning of last basketball season. Did that have anything to do with it being Oregon State's most magical basketball season yes. in uh, fucking decades? We think it did. And that's why we're having Definitely. Sam on the podcast. We're going to talk about what the basketball roster looks like, uh, the newcomers, the departures, Wayne Tinkle's extension, and the expectations. I'm not really sure like what 
what is a good basketball season for us next year? You know, expecting it to be the elite eight again seems insane, but I'm like, at least the sweet 16 or else it's bullshit. Even though we went 40 (laughs) years without winning a tournament game. So, you know, the unreasonable, uh, ridiculous, irrational people like the belligerent beeves, AKA the babes on this podcast, we're going to have to, you know, wrap our heads around what we can expect of this bunch of young men going into next season. Uh, and Sam, Sam's going to help us, uh, you know, talk through that and also get to know uh, the players on this team um, a little bit better. Uh, There's a lot of players returning, but there's a lot of new talent as well. And I think, you know, some reason to be excited and we're all excited about uh, the football season coming up, but I think, you know, on the men's side and also on the women's side with Scott Ruick's team, it's going to be a fun uh, winter, early spring as well uh, for Oregon state hoops. So we're going to talk to Sam about that. And uh, yeah, that's our, we are now transitioning to trying to do weekly episodes. Uh, So that's exciting for us. We've been doing this bi-weekly shit. I, I do have to say real quick on basketball. It was pretty cool to watch the NBA draft and see the number one pick and then realize, Oh, his last game was when Oregon State knocked him out of the tournament. There are some yeah. Tennessee Bye-bye. guys that got drafted too. And I was like, I remember them. We sent them <laughs> home early. Yep. Yeah, you, you probably <laughs> killed it in the draft interviews because you had extra time to prepare, right, Keon Johnson? <laughs> yup. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> but thank you again for tuning in to another great episode of the Belligerent Beast podcast. Thank you again to all-time scoring leader in the history of Oregon State football, the 2005 Lou Groza Award winner and all-time great dude, as we learned tonight. Uh, One of the coolest people the three of us have ever met. Are we fanboying enough yet? I don't give a fuck. Alexis Serna, thank you so much, Alexis. We're totally going to invite that guy on again. That was so much fun. And always remember, kick to make it. Don't kick not to miss. Right. Love it. That's it for us. My name's Terry Horseman. My co-hosts are JP Bertram and Benjamin Lawrence Sebastian Weehage. Find us on the Peloton app. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Find us in West Lafayette if you're going to be at the Oregon State-Purdue game. This has been another episode of the Belligerent Bees podcast. We are the Babays, and you are the Beaver fam, and we love you. Peace. Chop them. Chop them. Chop them.